Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Carlsbad podcast. Today's message was taken from our 10 a.m. service. If you'd like to join us in person, you can get more info at our website at calvarycarlsbad.com. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. This is a, this is a very difficult text. Um, I remember taking Hebrews in Bible college many years ago, and it was it, some of it is, is very hard to understand if, you, if we don't like do a real deep dive to kind of like look deeper into it. Uh, but this is, this is a really important text also, uh, because if we understand it in its context, it, it doesn't bring fear, it brings freedom. Um, and so if we can see it for the way it's supposed to be read, we receive this kind of freedom, this kind of rest, this kind of release and believing and trusting in God as he sought for us to do. So it's, it's exciting. I'm excited. Uh, and, and Hebrews, as you guys can tell, it's almost like, you know, there's letters that are kind of like um, almost like all doctrinal statements, theological. This is, this is like a, a sermon. It's like building on itself. Every part of it like continues to build. Each point builds onto the next point. And so we keep all of it in mind. That's the idea of context, which is one of the advantages. It's not the only way isn't to go straight through the Bible, but it is an advantage when we do go straight through, because we see the context and we can remember what we learned last week and the week before and the week before and month and a half before that, right? And so we have all that context in mind when we come into this. And so, um, there, and that's the therefore. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Therefore, the end of chapter three, we left off with, their corpses fell in the wilderness because of unbelief. You guys remember that? Their corpses fell in the wilderness because of unbelief. What is that talking about? The children of Israel, it's, it's found in Numbers chapter 13. I actually think we're, we should look at that. The children of Israel not entering into the promised land because of unbelief. The Old Testament's beautiful. It has all these stories, all these pictures. I mean, it is so beautiful. That's why some, there's been some movements in the greater church to unhitch from the Old Testament. And I think it's a huge mistake. The Old Testament makes the New Testament like vivid 3D. You know, it lays this beautiful foundation to make it all just pop. And, the more, and then all of a sudden you can just see it. You know, remember the, the 3D, seeing eye 3D things? You remember how hard those kind of are? And maybe you're one of those people that you just see it. You're just like, I got it, nailed it, you know? Some people, maybe you're one of the ones that you literally cannot see it. And you're not even sure anyone can, but they're just all kind of lying, you know? But you know that feeling of like, when you're looking at it, you're looking at it, you're looking at it, they're like nothing. And all of a sudden you get like a glimpse of, whoa, whoa, there was like a something there. There was something there. And then there was something in front of the something. And then all of a sudden you go back a little bit more and you're like, if I go too far, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose it. I'm gonna, all of a sudden you go, whoa. And for a second there, you can see the whole thing. I'm actually doing it right now. I'm like, uh, I don't have a seeing eye, a 3D thing here. But the idea is like all of a sudden you can really, really see it. And that's the Old Testament, but it takes carefully looking at it. Now, that's part of it. The other part of the Old Testament is as it's God's story of humanity, it's our story too. So we find ourselves in this story really, really easily with the failures, with God's amazing grace, with our reluctance to trust him, 
right? Do we not see it, right? And then we see when, when, when people do it well, we see the grace and, the, and God just move and do a miracle and, and, and provide a way. And, and we see that in our lives, right? Because we all have those moments where I trusted God and wow, he showed up. But then we also see when we start building our house on our own foundation and we stop trusting God and we start grumbling and remembering what it used to be like, and we have that too. So we're much like the children of Israel. It's, it's the story of what God was doing in those people. It's the story of what he's doing in all people, including us. So we find ourselves in this greater story. So rest, we see here, is tied with faith. The land of rest was tied with faith. And the, and, and the faith we're talking about, the, uh, um, the disobedience it's, or, or the lack of faith, the unbelief we're talking about, we mentioned it last week. It's not so much, I don't understand this. I, I can't wrap my mind around this. I don't really know. Instead, what is it? It's, it's that we don't trust God like we say we trust God. And we're going to break it down to where there's the things that we say that we believe. There's the things that we actually think we believe. Usually the things we say is by far the most generous. The things we think we believe, a little more reined in. And then the things we actually do shows what we really believe. And that's a whole nother story. So that's kind of the point with all that context in mind. So uh, Numbers 13. I'm, gonna, I don't, I'm not going to have it on the screen. I'm going to go through it kind of quick. At the very beginning, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men out, men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the children of Israel. From each tribe to their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a, a leader among them. So it starts with God saying what? Send out spy the land of Canaan, uh, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Send out the spies to the land I'm giving you. Where's the promise? It belongs to you. This is your land. Go down a little. So he sends them all out and it gets into all the numbers and you know, I mean, all the, all the different people and all the different people involved. And in the verse 23, they're supposed to go look and find the fruits of the land and bring them back after they spy it out. Verse 23, it says, and they came from the valley of Eskel and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes they carried it between uh, two of them on a pole. Wow, big, big cluster of grapes, right? They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskel because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now after they departed, and they came back to Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, uh, they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, show them the fruit of the land. Then they, so it was just like God said it would be, right? There's another sign. Just like God said it would be, that it would be fruitful, that it was land flowing with milk and honey. It's there. We saw it. We came back with it. And then they said, so what happens? Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this uh, is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The, uh, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, 
Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are all for we are well able to overcome it. So here's the picture. Hey, go to the land that I've I've sent for you. Go check it out. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They get there and they're like, "Yes, it is." This is awesome. And then they come back. It truly is land flowing with milk and honey. One problem, we can't take it. There's giants there. It's impossible. And Caleb's like, excuse me. Yes, we can. We very well can take that land and overcome it. See, what we find out later is Joshua and Caleb are the ones that are able to enter into the land because of their belief. If God said we can do it, if God's made the provisions, if God's brought it to our attention, then he showed us that he's, he's not lying about that land. Remember when he parted the sea? Do you remember when he brought us through the Passover? You remember everything? Remember the, the, the water coming from the rock? Do you remember the, the, the uh, you know, that was later, but do you remember the, the manna from heaven, the quail? Do you remember all this? Remember the fact that there's a, a fire in the sky leading us at night? A pillar of clouds, whatever. It's like, do you remember all this? But the men who had gone with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. So they make up a story because of their unfaithfulness to cover themselves. Aren't we good at that? <laughs> We're good at making up a lie to make ourselves feel better about not believing what God said. How good are we at that? We're so good at self-deception. We're like, we're masters at it, really. Because the first person we have to deceive is ourselves. Once you deceive yourself, you can deceive everyone else because you start believing the lies you're telling. How wild is that? So they say that, and he says, basically, they're coming in. So they, and all the people we saw are men of great stature. Uh, there we saw the giants. That's the descendant of Anak or the Nephilim, they say. Uh, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Like we're so small, we would be destroyed. Misery loves company anyway. Then we see in chapter 14, look how sideways this gets, how fast this gets sideways when we start walking in unbelief. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried out and the people wept that night. Why are they weeping? Did God not tell them? They're weeping because they're having to re, re, be resigned to this failure of their own accord on their own watch. And then what? And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in the wilderness. They got that wish. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So now check this out. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. We don't want to hear from Moses and Aaron anymore. By the way, has God been faithful this whole season? Absolutely. And so it's, this is the context of unbelief. This is what unbelief looks like in real time. And we might look at the story and go, you guys are so foolish. But we, we bow to way shorter giants than this. Uh, often. So we find ourselves in this story. Anything that we see God tell us to do and we don't do because of a 
insert really awesome excuse here. That's that world of unbelief. And so we miss what God wants to do in a sense in our lives. Now, it's not supposed to be this heavy, gnarly thing, but that's the reality of what they were experiencing. Verse two, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. We're given the gospel, but unbelief, it's, it's not just the mental ascent, but it's, it's allowed in practice. So you go, I gave my life to the Lord at a, at a harvest crusade. Why is my life still kind of hard? You go, well, it's not just like that. It's the fact that God now wants to work in your life to do things that are uncomfortable, to bring us to places that are uncomfortable. I mean, who in here is uncomfortable every week with your spiritual, with your walk with God? I am, like, <laughs> I'm constantly reminded of like, man, you, that, you are fake about that. Or, or you, you're, you think you believe, you're not, you won't, aren't acting in active faith. How many justifications we make along the way? Oh, no, I, it's, okay, yeah, it's complicated. In a perfect world, sure, you know. But we're given the gospel, but unbelief is what really messes us up, right? That's where we find ourselves in a bad, bad place. Uh, and so it's, it's not just the message, but it's the message mixed with, faith in those who have heard it. It's got to be applied in faith. That's how we actually experience the renewal in Christ. It's applied by a lifestyle of faith, not just the things we say. I say I trust in Jesus all the time. I think I trust in Jesus most of the time, but your actions say how much you trust in him all the time, right? Not yours, my, all of us. So that's where we have to like really continue to look at ourselves. If you want to uh, see what people in power really believe, because they're so good at saying things. I'm actually like, I watch people spin stuff that I'm like, I wonder how they're going to spin this. And I watch it and I go, what an amazing work of art that was. Like, I'm seriously like, just like, wow, that was, I see how you got to this position. I've never trusted you less. And so we look around at us and we even look at the things like the, the world saying, they say this. They might even justify themselves into thinking that they think it. But what do they do? Well, I'll tell you what, if you can find out where they're putting their money, you will know. <laughs> if you see where the money goes, you will find out because that's the way that they live. If you see the houses that they buy, you go, oh, it's not, the ocean won't rise that fast, I guess, right? <laughs> Sorry, that's a side point. But like just the idea of like, if you're buying coastal property and you're saying that there will be no coast in 10 years, I don't know what temporary insanity or what that would take, but you get the idea, okay? And for those who are living in San Marcos, you're hoping it does, you know, like, because you guys are in great shape. Sorry, that was ridiculous. But the idea is we think we believe things that we don't, but our actions always prove that to be the case. The more we lean into Christ and believe the things he says, the less we, the less we trust ourselves and believe him even over ourselves. Now, that's where we have to get to that line where I trust your word over my circumstances. That's what Peter had to deal with that right when he's called, right? Peter, go, why don't you go put out your nets on the other side? 
I, 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 yeah, anyway, goes out there, and he's been toiling all night. If you watch The Chosen, he had debts, man, okay? So that's, you know, we don't know. He's been toiling all night. He's, he's exhausted. They've been washing the nets. They're done. Go put out, go, why don't you go throw out your nets on the other side? And he's like, we've been trying all night. We've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. That is what faith looks like. It doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out mentally. It doesn't mean you have to be like, oh, yeah, totally. That's what I was just thinking. Makes sense. It's like, this makes absolutely no sense to me. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. So what does he do? He lets down the nets. The nets are starting to break. They bring in two boats, sinking two boats. He leaves the catch behind, and he says, depart from me. I am like a wicked man. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, why don't you follow me? I'm going to make you fishers of men. The act of belief led to uh, a better understanding of who Christ is. And in light of Christ, just the supremacy of Christ over all these other things, we see this supremacy of Christ over ourselves. That Jesus is way greater than us, which you go, of course, I knew that. But did we? Did we really think that he had a better idea than us? Well, if we do, then it lines up in our practical living, doesn't it? By the way, this is, this is we're all going to have to work with this, deal with this, and press through this our whole lives. Until he returns. Uh, Tori always makes fun of me. She'll be like, She'll be like, here, lay your head down, and I'll like lay down, or my head will be on her leg or something. And she's like, actually lay down. Because I'm always like, I keep my neck up a little bit. Because I'm like, this is part of when you outweigh your wife by like 100 pounds. You just know, I don't know if you want my whole giant head laying on your leg. And she's like, lay down. I'm like, okay. She's like, no, all the way down. And I'm like, I, don't, I almost don't even realize I'm not. I'm just kind of used to like kind of keeping it there. You're like, this is so relaxing, you know? She's like, no, down. And I'm like, she's like, oh, finally, thank you. Now get up because your head's too heavy. No, I'm kidding. But that's the idea. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be involved in that active belief. So our goal is not, let's just get to heaven one day. That is a great goal. But where we are now walking with him and bringing, bringing the kingdom here. We're living this out here and now through faith, trusting God to do crazy, radical things. Verse three, for we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Uh, Psalm 95, the works are finished. Rest in that. Rest in that. Here's the idea of rest, guys, because sometimes rest is like, what is rest? I really don't know. Rest is enjoying what you have around you. Rest is enjoying God and enjoying what he's given you. Rest is sitting down, chilling out, smelling the roses. Rest is not cramming, you know, an AM, PM hot dog down your throat so you can get here. You know, it's like rest is enjoying your meal and sitting there and relaxing and being with one another. This is the idea of rest, it's enjoying, right? And so how do we do that? By recognizing that God is a God who is over it all. We let go of control because of the fact he's done it, he's already done it. And so what, what we find here is that we who have believed do enter that rest. We do receive the rest of salvation 
but we're also supposed to experience rest in our daily lives, the way that we live. You know what's really cool? The church, the gnarlier the world looks around us, the more we, sh- the less frantic we should be in comparison. The more restful we should be, because we go, God is, he's orchestrating, he's in the midst of all of it. He knows the beginning from the end. And so we should be the ones that bring peace, not chaos to the world. Unfortunately, a lot of times the church brings more chaos than peace. They're more frantic and scared than anybody. And it's like, well, what is the message that we're sending to everybody then if we're in that position? No, we bring peace. We bring hope. We bring rest. My dad's got it under control. He's good. He's got it. Don't worry about it. So God is in control. We're not good at being in control. That's another thing we really have to think about. We are not good at being in control. Even if we can somehow manage it, the stress kills us. If we, even if you can do it somewhat well amongst earthly standards, the stress kills us. And we will find no rest if we're the ones holding everything together. Now, this is something I struggle with, and I'm sure everyone in here struggles with. How do you just chill? I mean, do you, when you're like, I remember tr- trying to do these things that we were working on, like having a time of like silence and solitude with the Lord. <laughs> we're just sitting there and chilling out, reading a scripture and then just, just like hanging out with God and just like praying and just like looking to him and, and just dwelling and meditating on the word. And you're, it's amazing how many to-do lists all of a sudden come to mind. And you go, you know what I could do with these 10 minutes? probably nothing good, you know? You could check, you know, a YouTube video or two if you put it on double speed. Or you can sit and be with God and then have your whole day slow down and you've put him in the proper position. Sometimes it's only 10 minutes. This is the idea of rest. God, I trust you. I have so many things to do today. I'll wake up early and pray. Was that Luther? I have to wake up extra early to pray? (laughs) Or I'll, sp- or I'll spend more time in prayer. That's the idea. Find yourself in that position. We are not good at being in control. We trust him. Verse four, for he has spoken in a certain place. I love the, I love the quotes of scripture that like, it's like you, would, you guys know what I'm talking about. He's spoken in a cer- certain place, seventh day in the way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, uh, they shall not enter my rest. So what's the first one? Obviously, it's from Genesis chapter two. And God, what does he do? In his pattern for the world, he shows us rest. Now, what's the rest we enter into? Our own rest, the way we enter rest, it's God's rest. That's the point here. And it's not, they shall not enter my rest. The idea is that it is my rest. That's not the point of him saying that because he says on, from the seventh day, all from his work, uh, God, re- God rested from all his works. They shall not enter my rest. It's God's rest that we enjoy. It's the fellowship that we have in him. So as much as it will benefit you to have a rest day in general, it's not just rest. It's God's rest. And it's knowing that he's got it all. What, was, what, what do we call that where it was maybe became more official, the seventh day, the what? Sabbath right? The Sabbath. 
And the Sabbath started getting really weird when everybody tried to make it something it shouldn't have been. Should have never been this weird, you know, rules, regulations. It became such a wild, it became anti-rest in a sense. But the idea of the Sabbath is to enjoy and to have an excuse not to do all the other junk you got to do. Don't worry about the dishes. Let them go, man. Do them the day before. <laughs> Don't worry about the, the, the this or the that. Don't worry about the housework. Don't worry about writing out the bills. Today is the day you enjoy God and then you enjoy life together. Today is the day you sit down and you eat a meal that lasts an hour and a half or something. <laughs> and you have a really good dessert at the end. You just sit there and enjoy one another. You read in the scriptures, you rest, you let everything slow down and you allow God to be God because it's his rest because he's the one that sustains us. And it, it, it's a reminder to us that we are not in charge. We don't need to be in charge. It is a, it's a rest we, we don't earn, but we enjoy. You know, it's we enjoy, get to enjoy what he's done and is doing in us. And so a lot of times we think we have to earn favor with God by do, do, doing. Man, well, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. If you do this and you do this, I heard a message by uh, Chuck Smith. Um, and he said, uh, it, it, was, it was on Hebrews, and he was talking about how uh, he used to think if he did certain things, then God would move. If I just, so he would say, I, you know, when he was in Tucson, I'd go up and I'd pray and fast all day in the desert. He said, just me and the Gila monsters. And he said, and I'd come back and I'd be like, all right, God's going to move at my, at this midweek Wednesday night service. And he says, they were the worst services. <laughs> he says, I was starving. I was weak. I was just, it's like, we got, we got to think about this like this. God wants to bless us. God wants to bring blessings into our life. When we were at camp, I, I spoke that Saturday night and it was a, it was like a move of the spirit that happened that night. I felt like God pressed on me. Like we don't have to hype up God's presence uh, and we don't have to think it won't show up. So we showed up and we were like, we're expecting God to do something here because we want, we, we want him to, we're asking him to, and we're meeting here. So it's not like a, a tricky word or, you know, a well said or, or raise your voice and the intonation and let's build up that chorus again. It was like, God, we believe you want to do something that you want to bless your people, not because of what we do, but because of who you are. And as you do it, then everything gets realigned with our lifestyle. Because if it's from what we did, it's like, oh, whoa, I fasted and everyone showed up. Guess what every single week is now. And now you're writing a book on fasting. And by the way, God uses fasting. Even Jesus said, oh, these don't come out except for by prayer and fasting. It's not to say that that's bad, but to think there's a formulaic effort model that will get us what we want. Then he'll finally be proud of me. Dad will finally get me. Dad will finally say I'm good enough. And he's like, no, that's not it. I've already, I'm, I've, I have all the works already waiting for you. Just walk in them, enjoy them. Rest, have peace. Don't be God, I got it. You weren't supposed to do this on your own. Trust me, believe me, enjoy. God wants to bless us more than we would, 
we, than we think he does. We don't have a messed up, we got to remove our messed up pictures of figures in our life. I've got to earn, I've got to earn. No, no, God, so that's not it at all. Verse six, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, um, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Here's the disobedience. Not believing in practice what we claim to believe in word or outright refusing to believe. Those are both co covered in disobedience. And then we know the Lord is more about obedience than sacrifice. We usually think it's about more about sacrifice than obedience, if we're being honest. Look at what I've done for you. And he's like, oh, I didn't ask you to do that. That's okay, but I would rather you just do this and it would be so much easier for you and so much better. So we, 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 then this is how we, how do we get past that? We find verses to lean on. That's why it's good to have scripture memorized. If you don't ever do that, the kids learn it and they get scripture memorized. It's really cool, you know, especially because their brains are sponges. They figure stuff out. That's what I was saying with the youth band. They're like, I've never really played before. And all of a sudden, by 45 minutes later, we're all playing four chords and staying in rhythm. And I'm like, to be 13 again, you know? <laughs> so we lean on this when we rest in his promises. It's again, it's not a name and claim thing, but we're reminded of who we are. That's what the verses tell us. That's what the Bible tells us. We are reminded of who we are. This is the obedience then we take. God, you say this, so now I'm going to believe that. We all desire people to do that in our lives. That's one of the things that, that we had, um, I've noticed in youth ministry, doing it for many years, was taking kids that had no frame of reference for where they were going. They have no idea what they're about. They have no idea what they're doing and they're kind of messed up. They're doing stuff that's not good, you know? And um, I've told the story probably before, but one of the youth in particular started coming to our, what we called our just dudes Bible study. <laughs> and that ended up in a house. We thought it was gonna be like five or six kids and ended up being like 30 kids and boys, all guys. And they were like up the stairs and the mom was cooking food for us. It was awesome. And this one guy came and, and he was like such a cool guy, but so prone to get in trouble. <laughs> and I, was, I just loved him though. I really loved this guy. And he's like, hey, what's up guys? He showed up. He's like, I thought I'd come to Just Dudes tonight. I was like, cool, man. I'm so glad you're here. And he says, um, yeah, he's like, I was about to like steal some liquor from the liquor store and go hang out you know, with my friends in the, in a, in a field, but I thought I should come. He said, great choice. You made a great choice, man. And I was able to, as I got to know him better, realize this guy is a born leader. Everything he does, everyone follows. Everywhere he goes, people go with him. So as he started coming to our Bible study, so did his friends. So I said, man, listen up. You're a born leader. Do you know this? Do you know who you are? And he didn't. He had all kinds of stuff. He didn't feel like he was worthy of anything. He felt like he was an absolute mess. Can anyone relate? This is all of us. When we think, we think that everyone in here, this is always the stinking, it's so, it's so irritating 
how easy this happens to us. We think everyone in here is doing really well. Let me tell you, everyone in here is going through something. Everyone in here has a past. Everyone in here has struggled greatly. Everyone in here is a mess without Jesus. Can we all say amen in unison? Amen. Okay, listen. So that we think, oh, I can't go to church. Oh, I don't have all my ducks in a row. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't be around this. And it's just like, this is my ability to speak into this guy's life brought him to a place where he's like, whoa, maybe that's true. Now, as much, as much value as there is in that, and I think we should be doing that. That's the idea of equipping people for the work of ministry. Even greater than that is taking the word of God and saying what that says about us. You're not a victim. You're not a slave. That's why I love, we are as workmanship created for good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Like God is, and I say this verse a lot because I just, I love it so much. You're his masterpiece. Do you feel like a masterpiece? I feel like the master of disaster most of the time. (laughs) And even worse, the master of disguise. No, you're a masterpiece. That's like a, that's like a Tony Evans style. I just did right there. I feel like with the, I didn't mean to, Um, but you're, you're a masterpiece. You're his poema, this, his workmanship, his, his work of art. He loves you so much. He has so many good things for you that you should walk in them. How do we walk in them? Obedience, belief that you are who he says you are. So many of us are so held up on what we were, what we've experienced, who we think we are. It's, mm, this is not who we are. What you were before, you, can, you acknowledge it, by the way. Acknowledge it. That's the best thing you do when the enemy starts saying, do you remember who you were? Do you remember who you were? Do you remember what you did? The best thing you can do is, is acknowledge it and then say, not that anymore. I'm his workmanship. I'm his masterpiece. I was created for good works. All I got to do is walk in them. It's all aligned for me. Just got to trust him. I just got to believe him. I've got to rest in him. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified in Christ with Christ. What does that mean? The old man is dead. The life I now live, I live by faith. So I live a new life by faith. What's faith? Belief. Allegiance. It's aligning your life with what you say you believe. You, you, isn't that cool? Like, so I guess there's a part of this where I'm like, man, let's expand our expectations of what you think you have, what God has for your life. And maybe you go, man, I, God started something in my life. I grew cold and I grew stale and I lost it. And I, I'm, I'm hurting and I don't see it anymore. Look to the scriptures to tell you who you are. Look to the Old Testament and the New Testament to see how God deals with man in his ups and his downs. What does he say? Return to me. Look what I'll do. Trust me. Believe me. Look what I'll do. As soon as you return, things are going to get good again. Just trust me. I'll blow your mind. Look to me. Let, allow me that place in your life. And we receive his grace, even as he blesses us in some sense when we really don't deserve it because he's such a benevolent God. Verse seven, again, he designates a certain day saying, 
And David, today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Here's the, we talked about this last week, today. The idea is respond today. And and because what's the what's the warning? Today, if you will hear his voice, the message last week was you have, for those who have ears, let him hear. Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. What does that mean? We can easily harden our heart. When we start faking it and and deceiving ourselves and living out of alignment of what we say we believe and how we actually believe. What happens? We harden our hearts towards one another. We harden our hearts towards God. And it happens so easily. But if God is speaking to you, your heart is not that hard. You're able to hear. But you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Again, we said this last week. And I think it's worth the, the urgency of the moment is really important. You never feel more of the urgency of a moment than when you have one week with someone and the next week that person is gone. We do not know what is, we, tomorrow's not promised to us. We have today to deal with today. And by the way, would it be better if you dealt with it next week? Deal with it now. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken to another day. Again, don't go back to what it was before because they might be thinking, man, okay, so Joshua, yeah, he was the hero. Oh, yeah, he went into the promised land. No, but the promised rest was still, was spoken by David many, many years later. It wasn't found in Joshua. The rest was going to come and it was going to be through Christ. So there's no going back. Um, the, the land and the rest that was in the land uh, was not a completion. It was a sign, but there was better things coming. So we, there's nothing to go back to. And think about that again. We've said this multiple weeks. Your old life has nothing to go back to. You can test it if you want. It will not be end well. <laughs> Maybe it's what, you, what we need sometimes, though. Sometimes we got to hit rock bottom. I mean, I'm grateful for some of my hardest falls in some sense. Because it's just like, okay, wow, you're even less good at this than you thought. Verse 9, there remains... Therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Again, it's God's rest. He's leading the way. What, what, an, what a sign of abundance it is that God created the whole world in six days. And then he said on the seventh day, he's like, I'm just going to rest. I saved an extra day. <laughs> I'm always so impressed if I turn in a paper um, the day before, <laughs> check me out. Some people turn them in like the first week of semester and you're like, who are you? Like, what is your deal anyway? You know, but like, this is just like a, a sign of, I got it all. Even the manna do, collect only enough for the day, except for on Saturday. I'll give you double. I'll give you what you need. Don't worry. I got you. You know, there's a fast food chain that doesn't work on Sundays. What is it? Chick-fil-A. Do you know what the most popular fast food restaurant in the country is? They do more. They do more in six days than everyone else does in seven. I don't know. Something to that, though, probably, huh? Maybe. I think it drives up supply. 
and demand, I mean demand. Because I'm telling you on Sunday, I never want Chick-fil-A more than on Sunday. That's probably a sin thing, right? You can't have it, so you want it. Give me some of that Chick-fil-A sauce. Sorry, I just did that to you. I mentioned In-N-Out last week, and and multiple multiple uh, people said they went to In-N-Out. Who went to In-N-Out last week? Actually, raise your hand if you ended up going. I know you guys did, right? Or you didn't? I did. I did. I know Ryan did. I ended up going, and I was just like, here I am. I'm like, you're all going to end up. And there I was, knee-deep in animal-style fries. But there's something about that rest. We are so much more productive having a day of rest, especially this kind of rest where we say, God, you're so benevolent. You're so in control. I let it go. I release it. But we live in a world that is anti-rest. It's like anti-rest. So it's, it's a real struggle. So he sees from his works, so we also sees from ours. Which is the idea of we aren't holding it all together. It is, this is a way of actively aligning our lifestyle with saying we believe something and then aligning it with saying we do. Guys say, oh, I believe in rest. Do you have a day to do it or do you have a time to do it? Do you have a moment to do it? You just take 10 minutes and be still and know he is God. Be still and know that he is God. Have you, when's the last time you tried to be still and just meditate on Jesus for 10 minutes? 10 minutes. The first time you do it, you'll just go, you look up and you'll be like, how in the world has it only been four minutes? It's just because our minds are so overly spinning. Do you think that might, there might be like an active thing going on in that? Is this an accident? Being busy with all the good things? There's a way we have to be diligent. I know um, if I really want to in- enter into some sort of rest, you got to recognize God's on the throne. You have to set yourself up for success. You have to plan it. You got to leave the phone somewhere else. This is, you know, whatever. We have a condo. We're straight up and down. Downstairs is a lot harder to get to. But it's hard because people are like, hey, where are you? I need this. And you're like, ah, sorry, man. God's on the throne and I am not him. (laughs) Rest, relax, sit down. Today is not the day. I can't solve the world's problems. I'm not God. And it's so good for our souls. It's so good for our theology because we start, don't take ourselves too seriously. We're like, God is God. I'm not God. He could do whatever he wants with this church. He wants to make it, Grow, great. I'd love that. That'd be so cool to have more souls. If, if it, I, I, but I'll tell you what, the greatest thing that could happen is these beautiful souls growing, <laughs> all of us. We all just become that. And then that brings, sparks forth growth. And it brings other people. And we want us, all of a sudden we're experiencing the Jesus we kind of know about more so in our lives. And then we bring people in, come with me, come with me. Come and see what God's doing in my life. It's not just about here, but it's just in general, right? We, but that's the idea. We like open hands. God, you're in charge. Sorry, man, I need to wrap up here. All right. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. We have to be diligent. Another translation is strive to enter that rest, which is, seems like an oxymoron. 
strive to enter that rest. But it, the idea is take it very seriously. The world will not do this for you. Your whole week will be planned and it will be planned like there's an eighth day in the week. You have to work it all out. We live in a wildly busy society. I was talking with my friend Greg Opine this week and we were talking about what he had done and what God had done in Hungary and how cool it was. And he said, they would sit around like multiple days a week for hours in people's homes, eating together, talking together, spending life together. And he says, but that was Eastern Europe in the 90s. That's the culture they lived in. He says, you know how hard that is to do now here? I was like, it's impossible seemingly. And, and, I, and we're all part of it because you're like, well, I do want to do this and I do want to play baseball, or softball, have baseball, have, you know, meet this day and then we have this study and we have that and all of a sudden you're like, where's the week? But you have to be actively setting it up and keeping places in our lives where we rest in God and go, you know what? That's enough. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. And that's the last thing, that, that's the first thing that's getting thrown off. So when we do that, man, God blesses that. And it's a largely unchecked part of our life. We know generally gnarly sin. We get that. Man, I got to deal with that. But it, it's just, it's, it's all the other stuff. So this shows our trust in God. And eventually, I tell you, if you set aside any part of the time, it'll be the favorite part of your day. It'll be the favorite part of your week. You long for it. So it's an appeal to rest. It's an appeal to just be still and know that he's God. And then to know, experience, let that knowledge come out in our experience of trust, belief. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more info on the church or ministries we offer, head over to calvarycarlsbad.com. Thank you and God bless.